Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 460th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is an Australian actress who shot to prominence four years ago thanks to her tremendous performance as Siobhan Shiv Roy, the smart, cutthroat youngest child and only daughter of the Rupert Murdoch-esque media mogul Logan Roy on the HBO drama series Succession, which won the Best Drama Series Emmy for its second season and is now nominated for it again for season three, and for which she has already shared in a Best Ensemble of a Drama Series SAG Award, won Best Supporting Actress in a Drama Series Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Awards, and received two Best Supporting Actress in a Drama Series Emmy nominations, one of which is currently pending. Sarah Snook. Over the course of our conversation, the 34-year-old and I discussed how, right out of drama school, she almost landed the starring role in David Fincher's 2010 film, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and why she is glad she didn't. How the casting director who brought her in for Danny Boyle's 2015 film, Steve Jobs, later reached out to her about Succession, and why she very nearly walked away from the opportunity to pursue the part. How Succession blowing up largely during the pandemic has resulted in her only recently beginning to experience what it's like to be a celebrity, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you. And uh, on this one, we always begin truly at the beginning. Can you share with our listeners, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Born and raised in Australia, in Adelaide. And I grew up with my uh, parents and sisters in a place next to a national park. Um, parents had lots of different jobs growing up. Mom worked as a boarding house mistress at one point, as well as a um, video, like a sales rep. And I think, I can't remember what subsidiary she would have worked for, but for some reason she was selling or had available to her um, a lot of Disney VHS. And so I got one of those Disney uh, videos. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, uh, Adelaide, for Americans who may not know, is uh, is known for a, a number of things, but as uh, as applicable to somebody on succession, can you share what why it might be of particular interest? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, a little known uh, <laughs> person called uh, Rupert Murdoch is uh, very famous for having started his first a newspaper there. Yes. He was born and raised in Adelaide. It might have been Sydney that he was born and raised, but he definitely started The Advertiser there. Yes. Well, uh, we'll obviously come back to stuff related to him and his ilk in, in a bit, but um, I was interested to learn prepping for this that while your parents were not 
in the same profession that you are now in, there were other prior generations of snooks or different names who might have been? Yeah. Yeah. My, my grandmother, uh, my, my maternal grandmother on my mother's side, she, um, she was an actress in, in the twenties uh, and thirties in England, in London. Um, and then traveled to South Africa uh, to escape the war before the war, but then war, second world war broke out and couldn't get back. And so sort of had a, a change of career, I guess, where she was still doing drama and, and, and was one of the first, um, people in, in New Zealand where she emigrated to afterwards who put on Shakespeare in the park. She ended up directing a number of shows and, and produced a lot of things and, and, and acted in them as well. But that was, yeah, I, I never got to meet her, but she was the, um, the prior actress in the family. Yeah, yeah. Well, you uh, you you answered my question, which was going to be if if she, if her, you know, knowing her or uh, hearing about her, I guess, had any influence on you dabbling yourself for the first time. But I guess what since you didn't know her, was there something else that first you know hooked you? Yeah. Well, I mean, in regards to into her, I, I, her presence was always felt. I think in my family because she she passed away when my my mom was quite young. And so she was always like definitely a, a legend or a myth in the family. It was quite larger than life and, and her personality. I was always aware of, of my grandmother growing up, though I never got to meet her. Um, and also I think because her sister was an actress as well at the, in, in London at the time and never, neither of them were, um, you know, long-term professional uh, or anything like that, but they always kept it within their life. And lifestyle, I think my 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 great aunt uh, ended up once she'd raised all her children and sort of found herself uh, with less to do in terms of the family uh, that she was looking after. Began putting on her own plays in her hometown in New Zealand, and I just always have like looked to the women in my family like that. That there's the real self-starter commitment, and I yeah love that. Now, where are you in the order of the sisters of your own? Uh, the, family. Youngest. the youngest. So oh, I, I'm the youngest. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the reason this comes up is that uh, you know often it's a case where somebody sees an older sibling doing something and wanting to then follow, in, you know, join in yeah. or whatever. That was was that the case as well here for you? Uh, I, I did I did see my my eldest sister do a performance of Peter Pan when I was younger, and um, I thought she could fly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I saw her. I saw her. They put a bed, I think, up on 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 its side, and she was lying on the bed and pretending to fly. And I was like, "I can see what you can see. <laughs> you are flying over the city. Wow!" <laughs> and that was the rest is history. After so, that, yeah, <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> well, so uh, it got more serious, I guess fairly early in life because you got a was a scholarship to what would be the equivalent of our high school in the US was that um I mean were you sort of known was were, were you the you know theater kid at that point or what was, oh, what was I, going I, on? when I when I arrived I I was very fortunate um, with this scholarship that and I think it was a great program and that I could both do the uh, junior quote unquote and, and senior teams uh for extracurricular drama so 
when I started at this high school, which I would have been in year eight, so I would have been 13, just turned 13, I was able to be working with people who were 16, 17, 18. Um, on the Thursday night they had like the senior team drama. So it really was great because, I, you know, in terms of proximity and being like uh, adjacent to people who have been doing drama more, 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 um, seriously, I guess, yeah, <laughs> like rather yeah. than just primary school putting on a musical or a play. These are people who are really uh, interested in drama and doing it extracurricular after school so that they were getting better. And, and, and I got to play with them as well, which was great. So, yeah, so, I guess I got known as the drama kid because of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, by the time high school was was ending there and you have to sort of make some decisions about your, your direction for the future um, – I know you were looking at going to and eventually did go off uh, to the really the I guess the Juilliard of Australia, uh, yeah. NIDA, National Institute of Dramatic Arts. But was there any kind of a conversation at home about, you know, how people felt about pursuing a career in acting? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think there was, you know, it's a precarious career. I think it's not um, one that necessarily uh, – as a parent, you hope your child to go into because, gosh, that offers a lot of stability. Um, you know, like, <laughs> I think, I think partly it was it was uh, blind faith um, from my part, and also youth, maybe that they were a little more willing to let me, you know, just because I just come straight out of high school, so going into into this, you know, university, it was it's a degree, a bachelor of dramatic art. Once I'd finished that, I was only going to be 22. So there's there's some space to go like go and get a proper degree and something. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than dressing up and pretending to be other people for a living. Now it almost uh, that that chapter or that that drama school for you almost didn't happen, right? Mm. No, I wasn't on the on the first rounds list. I think they, they accept 24 per year, and I was number 25 as a um, first reserve. So if someone didn't take their <laughs> space, then I was going to be fortunate enough to go and I had the drama teacher Tony had the you know head of acting had called and said you know if you don't hear hear from us before Christmas then you didn't get a space you didn't get a place and and weirdly when he said that I was like eh I don't know maybe maybe not like a strange totally un un like justified confidence but then yet come come a week before starting school they called and said someone had accepted their place but now has um denied it like it was dropped out so if you want it then it's yours can you move to Sydney in a week (laughs) i guess again what would you have done if that had not happened i was gonna go um i was gonna do a a gap year for for like six take six months working and then do six months hopefully teaching English in Peru. I wanted to do English as a second language and I'd always wanted to go to some South American country and Peru was on my list. And so I thought, great, I'll do that. <laughs> um, so, I haven't gone to Peru yet still. So. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, South America. Hmm. You, uh, you pick up uh, your life instead and, and move to Sydney. And how does one, uh, I guess, unlike high school, uh, this is now going to be a, uh, non-scholarship situation, right? You got to get through this. Yeah. 
what did you do to pay the bills while you were in drama school? Oh, well, it was tricky because, like, I don't know, a lot of friends of mine, and I think this is a problem probably throughout the, the drama world in that, like, acting is such a precarious job to do. You kind of have to have any kind of artistic endeavor, you kind of have to have a sponsor or a uh, wealthy family behind you to support you. And if you don't, then it makes it a lot harder and a lot of people then tend end, end up dropping out or tend to sort of choose not choose it. And those are unfortunately the stories we need to be hearing, you know, like not unfortunately, but unfortunately because of that circumstance, the stories that we need to be hearing from the people who are maybe less, in, less inclined to take an artistic, insta- unstable path, career path, or don't have the sponsor or the family wealth behind them to pursue it, just don't follow those those directions. And so we're missing out on this sort of space of stories, which was so interesting. Um, right. I didn't come from, you know, lots of money, but I uh, still had to work during drama school, which a lot of uh, friends of mine either were able to get Centrelink, which is the doll uh, in Australia, or had family support, which, you know, it's all power to them, like, Thank God, <laughs> they like you know they chose chosen something and their family were able to help out. Mm-hmm. Mine weren't so much able to help out, and I couldn't get Centrelink for a clerical bureaucracy nonsense era thing. Um, and so I did a lot of work as like a bartender. I worked in a hotel doing you know room service, taking food up, shepherding down, or and I also did uh, fairy parties where I would um, dress what up. Is, as a- wait, 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 what's a fairy party? <laughs> That's the context of like, like room service to fairy parties. So fairy parties were like children's entertainment. So I would um, dress up as a fairy and go into kids' parties. Nice, nice. Uh, and do like games and stories and and yeah, a lot of fun. Well, so when you're coming out of out of the drama school, um, you know. What was your mindset of best case scenario for how this could go? Did you have sort of particular role models of, you know, from uh, obviously the Australians have made a big dent in international cinema. There's plenty more who have done just fine in Australia primarily. But what were what were what would it have looked like at that point if you could have made it uh, exactly what you hoped for? I don't know. Like it, 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 it also still felt so um, accidental that I was doing this drama class school, this degree anyway, that I, it was, it, it, it was a, um, a hope to be able to create a career, but there's, I think when you want something so bad, there's a little part of you that doesn't dare to actually envisage it properly because it doesn't, it feels too, <laughs> like, you know, you want to be an actor, but you don't know how you possibly could ever fulfill that. So uh, you know, looking towards things, people like Kate Blanchett, Australian actress who went to the same drama school that I went to, seems too far out of reach, really. <laughs> but something like her career, oh, yes, I'd love to emulate, uh, maybe, but not knowing how to make the choices in which to do that, I think mm-hmm. I was, was stuck at when I graduated. How about in terms of just you know, stage versus screen. Was screen something that they even taught screen acting at, at the drama school? Often it's, I know it's not. They, they didn't, uh, as much. Um, there was, there was a small portion of it, but not, not a, um, not a dedicated kind of class or anything like that. Um, I think their interest more was creating artists and creating, you know, theater actors and, um, hoping your experience would be more, 
your, you know, screen knowledge or screen acting would be gained more in experience being a guestie on, on different shows. And mm-hmm. um, I was fortunate to have a few, but not many guests. <laughs> like I, I probably would have benefited from having one or two more so I didn't freak out when I got away from all. Well, uh, I mean, there, there are a few of those earlier um, roles that I'm going to bring up, but I actually first want to talk about one that I think was pretty soon after graduating that did not pan out, but that may have inadvertently opened some doors uh, along the way, right? What was with the... English language version of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo that David Fincher oh, was going to yeah. do. You you got pretty far along for that, right? I did. I was, yeah, it was between myself and and uh, um, Rooney Mara, as far as I'm aware. That could mm-hmm. also just mm-hmm. be, you know, like, you get told these things, you're like, great, well, <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> That's the end of the story. Um, but I actually, you know, philosophically, but at the time I had this opinion anyway. Like I was quite happy that I didn't get it. I was quite young, quite green and uh, very, um, you know, wide-eyed, I think, in a way. Like I would have been um, a very different actor now had I had I got that role at such a young age. Um, it would have been an amazing thing to get, great sort of, you know, catapult, what have you. But, you know, when you, when you know in yourself that there's a level of maturity or self-understanding, self-knowledge that's not quite ready for something, so when I didn't get it, I was like, oh, that's disappointing. But also, eh, I just started well, dating some of the time. I was like, that's kind of great. I get to see this guy <laughs> off. Also, well, and I mean, just to be on the radar of casting directors at that level is an accomplishment, right? I mean, do you know how it even, how you even kind of registered on their radar? Yeah, that is weird. Um, I, my manager, um, my current, my manager at the time, who is, she was my agent at the time, now as my mm-hmm. manager. Mm-hmm. She was in Australia and um, had uh, been visiting with my Australian agent and seen, you know, headshots and was wanting to suggest some people to the casting agent. And, um, and yeah, it was, just a, it was just a very sort of fortunate, lucky little, what about this person? And <laughs> let's see what she can do. And, and even at the time, I was shooting something called Sisters of War at the time in Queensland, and my friend Claire Vanderboom, lovely woman, very talented actress, and also a bit of a mentor in that she, you know, five years older than me and gone through the the hoops a few bit, this year, a few in different ways before me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and very much I did not want to like I was very. Uh, disenchanted with self-tapes. I was <laughs> like, I don't understand them. There's new age. I don't like them. I don't want to do it. I don't want to, like it was, I had to put a poem on tape and I no, what am I going to do? A poem? And like, what poem? <laughs> um, but she was really uh, encouraging. She was like, doesn't matter. It's like throw your hat in the ring and see, like failing is fun. You know, like mm-hmm, you can just mm-hmm. try and great. And if you don't, then you'll never know. So just do something. And, um, Gave me the courage to, yeah. Do you remember, did you actually directly interact with the casting director on that one? Not until I got to the States. I ended up doing two screen tests, but not until I got to the States did I interact with him, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but was that Francine Maisler? It, uh, it was not, not Francine Maisler, and I'm having a blank. It's... Um, uh, but I have met like that, that was around the time that I met Francine Mazer as well. And she's been such a brilliant champion of, of 
it was David Finch's um, Laura. Oh, oh yeah, I know who you mean. Um, but it, okay, so Francine, because I had I had kind of misunderstood that maybe that was where you first crossed Francine's radar from no. Dragon Tattoo. But we'll come to we'll come to that then. I guess in between though, one of the people who maybe was involved with that was that Scott Rudin, right? Who it was yeah yeah the yeah. producer who then. I guess, again, just it's amazing how kind of like one dot connects to the other. And in this case, uh, he he was a fan, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing where you, you don't when you're, I think, certainly in your 20s or starting out, you kind of don't where people say like, oh, just do the audition. You never know who'll see it. It feels like such a nebulous kind of like, go, go for it, kid. Like it doesn't feel like strong enough as a reason to do anything. But it is in the end because and there are people who are who are producers for a reason they want it they because they love shepherding talent they love shepherding artists they love making things happen um and and they have a they have an eye and they have a mind for and are, you know a, a pursuit of finding new people finding new material finding new like no matter what it is like directors or actors or what have you but um yeah, so Scott Rudin was a producer on that, and then um, and then cast and then Francine and I met Francine I think in that trip and and then got cast in um, in Steve Jobs uh, years later. That was in twenty fifteen, I think. Well, even and, I would say before that, right? You did a I think before that was the play with Ray Fiennes, right? Well, that was what so so it was doing Steve Jobs and shooting that at the time, and I went to my sister's wedding in London uh, because I had I think a week and a half off, and I had already said I can't shoot for this week. Is it okay if I go to London? Yes, all been cleared, and I just happened to be in London uh, when Matthew Warchus was beginning casting, and Scott was also a producer on the play for the master builder. And so he called Matthew and said, would you meet with Sarah? Who's, who's coming into town? She's only, she's leaving tomorrow. Do you want to meet with her today? It was all very like, Oh, oh hang on quick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so I met with Matthew very briefly and yep, that was fine. Nice to meet you. Uh, put a self tape down uh, for a theater thing, which is very odd. It's like a 15 yeah. minute tape. <laughs> Who could be bothered watching that? I don't know, but they did. Um, and then was able to go back after after we finished shooting um, Steve Jobs to to audition in person. But that was again, it was like a yeah, uh, being championed by by Scott Rudin. Yeah. So before Steve Jobs, were a few other screen projects. I guess your first screen projects in Australia, and I want to mention two, which I think were both. Um, well, the first one I think was a telefilm, telev- television movie, and then a your first film itself because these both get Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Awards. That's a mouthful. Uh, um, nominations. I think you won for the second, but this is Sisters of War in 2012, um, World War II. Uh, TV movie and then not suitable for children first feature rom it's a rom-com but I mean it seems like you were getting some recognition for that and that pretty soon after is maybe when you first really spent some time of substantial time not just coming for like a girl with a dragon tattoo test or something but like a chunk of time in the U.S. I guess to see if there were opportunities here 
Yeah, I, I you know the longest I've ever spent in um, in the states was two months. I never I never sort of like packed my bags, went to the states. Let me see if I could make it, kind of um, thing. I, I I would take trips that were you know in the, in the week long, kind of couple weeks long time frame. But longest was ever longest ever was two months, and uh, but that came out of. Um, a little bit later than that, actually, the Sisters of War kind of was great, and then and then led into to doing not suitable for children. But it was really predestination, I think, that that gave me more confidence to put my foot in or test the waters a little more in the states to to see what I could do there. And this is 2014, a woman who comes man in a. I guess first of all, it's the first international production you were part of it's you and Ethan Hawke um sci-fi uh and and let's just talk about the response to it before we before uh let me mention a few things before you talk about just the the doing of it but Ethan Hawke said quote I have never been part of a performance I think meaning around a performance that has been better than this close quote ACTA, again, the the mouthful of a group that uh, is your yeah. equivalent of Oscars in Australia. Um, you win Best Actress for this. And then I saw another thing where Helen Mirren said she would only sign up for these directors, the, the Spirig's next project, if you were also in it. So, I mean, this is a this is kind of a yeah. big yeah, this is the biggest deal up to that yeah, point. That was, right? that, that was wild. I remember getting cast and it was a you know long drawn out casting process and part of that casting process was doing prosthetics makeup testing to see if because the character both had to be female and male to see if I could pass as as male and whether the prosthetics they were going to use could um were believable and and part of that was yeah prosthetics as well as acting and sort of character character development um and then yeah, shooting <laughs> the first day, <laughs> like meeting Ethan and going like, yeah, cool. Well, um, I could uh, die tomorrow. Be happy. Um, <laughs> it's been so far so good. Um, yeah. Great. I don't need to do this because it seems pretty daunting to uh, embark upon this. But, uh, yeah, so far so good. And <laughs> I guess, that. like, that's – so you had played a – you'd played leads in – Australian stuff, but here you are with a guy who I would imagine you knew uh, growing oh, up and, and yeah. watching his I work. All the sisters who grew up in the yeah. 90s, you know, like they had yeah. my sister had a picture of him up on her wall that was signed. <laughs> I was like, I'm now opposite him and right. he signed. I remember whether he did or not, who knows? But <laughs> like a signed picture of him from. Was it no? No, it was um the Richard Linklater one, not Daisy. Oh Linklater. yeah, um, uh, Reality Bites. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, like he was a a household name, like White Fang, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess how did you ultimately acclimate? Obviously, it was uh, as you say, you know, day one might be a little jarring, but uh, obviously it it all turned out very well. Was, yeah. Did you know that in the doing of it? Not necessarily, no, but he was so, he was great and certainly great as a mentor and a, a shepherd, I guess, in the way of going, well, here's somebody who I have to work opposite. And, um, and I, and I guess I, he, he gave me the courage not to doubt myself. Um, and he was very, um, he was a great lead, I think in mm-hmm. that way, a great leader. 
um, on set. And, you know, it was largely a, an Australian production uh, set in America and mm-hmm. uh, with obviously an American um, lead and star. Uh, but it, there was a little bit of home, I guess, whilst doing it because of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was nervous doing it, but... But the remem- remembering it now, I have such fond memories of like you know like learning to play pool or going out and going and playing pool with Ethan and, and his wife Ryan and and like just hanging out like yeah. pretending to be a dude for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think the New York Times said you uh, as a dude resembled Leonardo DiCaprio, which we all wish that could that. be uh, yeah, said wow. about us who are who are actually dudes. So you know yeah, yeah. that's quite a compliment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now, so if Ethan was a, a mentor, I heard you, I saw you'd also said that about somebody named Imogen Banks, who I guess you worked with mm. on The Beautiful Lie, which was the next TV version, I guess, of, of Anna Karenina. Why was, why is she somebody that you would put that label on? She's, I mean, she's great. She's, she's a producer in Australia who's, who's always been a champion of, of, uh, great storytelling and a champion of women in storytelling. And, um, she, yeah, I, I, I we just always got along and she was always very, um, she's got such a kind of creative arts essence about her. And yet this producer brain who can get shit done, you know, <laughs> like, who can make it work. Yeah. And there's so much of the bohemian and the artist in her that, that, is a great sort of com- combination, I think. Yeah. So that was 2015, which, I mean, I don't know, sometimes things all come out at once that weren't all being made at once, but I do think that uh, there was a pretty quick turnaround that year between that and then certainly The Dressmaker and Steve Jobs, which we'll note were also both with Kate Winslet. Um, yeah. First one, I think, was maybe a bigger hit in Australia than, than necessarily abroad, but very nice yeah. costumes that, uh, I think, did they get yeah, nominated that, or? Dressmaker, strangely though, has, I, I've, people can't contact me now about Dressmaker because they've found it on Amazon or something. I guess wow. same with Predestination and, and yeah, strangely the Dressmaker has hit longer than the one I expected it to, or just unusually yeah. hit in a way that, um, has been longer lasting, I think. Interesting. So, yeah, well, I, did, I did that. Uh, Kate at the end of 2014 and then Steve Jobs at the beginning of 2015, which was really strange for me. <laughs> it's like a kid from Adelaide. Doing you again. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I was like, hi. Oh, sorry. Right. Well, just to remind people, because I guess Steve Jobs would have been the the first one where, you know, probably widely seen by Americans. This is uh, you're playing the the Apple publicist, right? Who's yeah, um, you know, a little I don't know, officious. Is that the is that yeah, the word? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, on that yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Danny Boyle directing. It's Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Oh, yeah. It's Fastbender. Uh, yeah. Take me, uh, take me into your mindset on that one. That was wild. Like, <laughs> first of all, the strange part as well. A friend of mine, one of my best friends. Uh, their name is Andy Cunningham, and I was suddenly playing a character called Andrea Andy Cunningham. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, what? <laughs> this maybe this is meant to be." Right, right. Um, and then, yeah, we were shooting on film. Uh, we had sixteen. Was it sixteen or Super Eight for the first first portion, and then thirty five for the second, and then digital. I think the last or seventy mil for the last. 
but just just the attention to detail that Danny has and, and, and everybody had on the project, particularly Sorkin as well, and being in the, the rehearsal room and, and, you know, I had a line that said, like, do you want to see him? Thanks, or something. And I think I said, like, uh, maybe you want to see him? Thank you. It was like, it was the smallest change and I didn't realize I'd done it until afterwards Aaron was like, is that how you're going to do it? I'm like, I don't need to. I can do whatever, however you want. I'm sorry, sir. Like, yeah. Yeah, fine, you do it however you want, but I'll just make the adjustment. And once I make the adjustment, that's how it will be. Like, okay, fair enough. Because, you know, there's such a rhythm. There's, you know, a patter and, and uh, he was making sure that I fit that. Fair enough. But I, yeah, it was the intimidation. I was high at that point. Like what am I doing here? <laughs> well, the way that that so so that one was Francine Maisler as the was, casting, yeah. right? Um, do you remember in the I don't know whatever audition or anything that you guys really clicked? Only because for for people again who are you know wondering why I keep bringing this up, <laughs> she would be somebody who would then reemerge with Succession. So just Indeed. was it a you guys, you know, had something magical or what? She, she's been, I mean, and I think a lot of actors could say this about Francine. She's a person who, who, if, if she sees something in you and she could see like a project that might work, like she is a, you know, a huge advocate, a champion for you. And I think really trusts in, in, um, in the growth of actors as well. And, and doesn't have, I mean, and, you know, as an actor, you can go through huge periods of doubt. And I think, you look to people like directors, producers, casting agents where they might have the power. And, and I think Francine has this sort of, obviously she's aware of that, but like there's a delicate balance. I think she strikes, which is like, well, you have the power as well. Like you will grow as an actor and you'll either be ready for this role or not be ready for it. And if you're not ready for it, that's okay because there'll be another one that you will be for later. And I think that she had the faith in me to, to find what those roles were going to be. And, and, um, and and in the end, something that I did not expect to hit in terms of um, my audition for Succession was like, this character is nothing like who I am, nor what I want to be. Okay. Um, now that just came out of the blue. You just get a like a you know pitch like any other audition. Yeah, yeah. Just put this down. There was another one for Where'd You Go, Bernadette? I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was more interested in that because I was more interested in working with Linklater. And I don't know. I was like, I don't, I'm not. I'm not a billionaireess daughter <laughs> of like. Who, <laughs> this is not a good fit. Um, I don't so even think that like you were from what I've read, like looking to get out of it, right? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, I did. Well, I didn't. I'm not getting out of it, but looking to. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I said no the first time that it was uh, fully offered. Um, it was a straight know. offer or an offer to audition? Offered to to do the final audition, to do the screen test. So it was like, it was in, in that sort of like where you are negotiating and like, yeah. here's what the offer is. And as part of a negotiating thing as well, I'm sure it's, you know, like, do you want to do this or not? You're going to say yes or no to this. If you say no, it could go away. Are you okay with that? Um, and I was like, well, yeah, because I didn't really understand it at the time, I think. I didn't understand how I could fit into it either. I didn't see a world where um, how I view myself and, and, and what my capacity as an actor is could have fitted into this, this space. Because it was, it was essentially a group of 
men and you would have been the one woman. And yeah, you right. felt, yeah. Yeah, totally. And like at the time as well, HBO were really like I, the thing that was most prominent on HBO was Game of Thrones. And I think it was in the third or fourth season at that time. And whilst, you know, I know that Game of Thrones evolved, it, it was around the time that there was that um, basically show us a bit of male full frontal HBO, mm-hmm. why don't you? Like we're getting a lot of female frontal, <laughs> we're getting a lot of like, there was right. that there was that video, there was that um, song, that video clip that came out around that time. And I, I don't know, I just didn't trust that that I would be on a show with being the only sort of younger female that I could tell in the pilot, from the pilot. Uh, with a lot of white businessmen that like one that people would be interested in this and two that I wouldn't potentially be exploited for being you know the only one with <laughs> being the only one female um now that does that come back though in a way to dragon tattoo where you're saying I'm glad I I wasn't there myself yet in a sense I mean that was also going to be a pretty physically exposing thing right oh absolutely and i think because i just come out of drama school which is you know the the main tenet of drama school and on stage is you say yes and you Mm -hmm. don't say like no you can't block so you say yes and which is not a great thing for a young woman to necessarily (laughs) learn right (laughs) say yes but within your boundaries of what you want to agree to right uh you know or say no and no is just as powerful right um so yeah, I, I definitely you know would have been would have been a, a naive sort of yes and person with dragon tattoo and and just didn't want to be that for for, for this because I also didn't know what it was going to become either. Yeah. Well, I and this is not something I heard you say, but I've heard others sort of speculate that they think you were maybe lowballed with the initial offer as well. Right. Yeah. I mean. It's possible. Didn't feel low ball to me. Feel low ball to say no to. Well, so what yeah. ultimately? What what changed your mind? Uh, just like three had it in the ring. In the end, they came back and said, "What about this?" And then I go, "Well, sure. Uh, that's that's nice." Um, and like you know, it's not. It's still like the 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 final bit before the last audition. You know, so it's like it's you're going into a screen test with this is my this is what I have to offer the network. I, I come at this price and I come at this acting level uh, and with yeah, whatever yeah. profile I have. So because they want a commitment so that if you're cast, you're, you're on the hook. Yeah. Yeah. And, so you, it's so yeah. strange. You sign, you sign before you even do the final audition. It's right. really weird. Well, so what, what went on in the final audition? I am. Um, Francine was there. I auditioned with Francine. There was a, Guy auditioning for Greg. I remember being very nervous. He was so nervous. He was, I'm sure, very good, but he was so nervous. But because I'd been in this situation once before, I did a pilot for um, ABC, was it? A pilot called Clementine. I'd done it before, and I guess I, at this point, didn't, I just presumed that I was the kind of Antipodean black horse, like dark horse. Like they didn't, they didn't need me. They wanted, they wanted this other person and, I, this is my narrative that I created. I mm-hmm. presumed they wanted this other person in, in America who was more expensive than I was. And so they, to, to shake her off her footing or whatever, or their, her agents or what have you, they must have brought in me to go, <laughs> uh, 
like, well, we could go with you, but there's this other person that no one's ever heard of. He's much cheaper. Um, now, this this person in America, this is purely in your imagination, or you knew of a person in America? No, I, I, I knew that there would be someone else that I was auditioning yeah. against. I have no idea who it was or, or whether they right. even existed. But I, I, I know that there would have been someone, or more than one person, like maybe two or three people. Um, but I, I had a sort of a blind confidence because I didn't think that there was any chance that I um, would get, get a look in even. And it sounds like you wouldn't have been exactly heartbroken if it didn't happen. No, no yeah. it was like it was a free trip to L.A. to see my friends. It was great. <laughs> it was not a – it's a nice position of power to be in where you go, like, right. I don't care one way or the other, to be honest. Right, right. So how soon after that day with Francine did you hear something? Well, I, that same day I uh, was leaving, and as I was leaving, Francine said, do you mind staying back? We've got um, an actor called Jeremy Strong coming in, and we'd love you to read opposite him if poss- if you're okay with that. I was like, yeah, great. Sure, I'll be a reader. Like, <laughs> I've been a reader in lots of auditions before. I didn't know that I was auditioning again, in a sense. I was thought I was just helping him out, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then, yeah, read read opposite Jeremy um, to help him with his audition, and I guess was auditioning myself again. I didn't realize. Um, and then I think it was the next day on the on the it would have been on a Friday. I think I heard on the Saturday afternoon. What, do you remember? Was that a uh, exciting call? Like who who tells you? <laughs> I think my manager did. I can't remember. I I know that I would have been and in a classic me sort of way gone like oh <laughs> oh good all right yeah. <laughs> well um. What do I do now? Everything, yeah, right. you know, it's like <laughs> the day's still going. That oh, the traffic light turned red. Right, okay, well, right, um, right. I'll wait till it goes green and then I'll turn left. And you know, like it just day continues. It doesn't, you know, you don't go. Wow, this is it. <laughs> you didn't. It wasn't I breaking down, crying. Like, no, right, right. Did react to exciting things differently, and I, I right, think right. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, something I didn't ask you about yet, which... I mean, I'm sure uh, some listeners may be wondering is how early on did you feel confident about an American accent? Because <laughs> I bet there are people that started listening to this interview who didn't realize you aren't American. Well, let's hope. That yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> they still don't know. Right. <laughs> um, no, I, I worked with a dialect coach to to, um, and that was something that came from Kate Winslet actually, because she's she always works with a dialect coach and has always got a flawless, impeccable. She's like the only uh, non-Australian that I've heard do a perfect Australian accent. <laughs> like on the dressmaker, she was like, 
can you, and speaking to me in an Australian accent said, can you just let me know, um, you know, just, just if you hear anything wrong, just by all means, feel free to speak up. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, sure. Do you want to try? And she's like, no, I'm doing it now. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I didn't even realize. She's right in. Yeah. Um, well, so you're cast, but you were cast for the pilot, right? Yeah. There's no guarantee it goes beyond the pilot, but you've got to, I, I think people, as we think, as I, as I think back to the pilot, I, I'm trying to remember how much of what, what, how much we learn about Shiv in that situation. I guess it's uh, that she's in politics, right? And part of this crazy mm-hmm. family and whatever, but uh, how much context or backstory were you given at that point by Jesse Armstrong or anyone else about who this person is that you're playing? Not heaps, not like, not a, a, a massive amount that, that you could lean on, but I think it was more about leaning into the writing. Like it was, I remember reading the pilot and, and, you know, say what, so I can say what I like about whether, you know, saying no to it or whatever. I was very interested to know what happened beyond the first mm-hmm. episode. Like I read the pilot and went, well, this might not be for me. Like, I don't think I'm going to get cast in this, but I definitely want to watch it. Like, this yeah, is, yeah. I want to know what happens. <laughs> There's that great, I think, you know, he closes his eyes or something like, or he does, like it's on his eyes. His, their eyes, his eyes are closed. I think Logan's and you're like, will he wake up? I don't yes. know. I don't know. <laughs> right, and, right. And then once we shot it, you know, during the first episode all together, it was such a special time doing it. And we all sort of got along really well. And there was great acting chemistry. And I'd never been as challenged as I was doing that in terms of improvising, in terms of the freedom of invention and, and, you know, a lot of the time we were shooting, you know, for, for a pilot episode that's going to go, you know, 58 minutes. We shot for three and a half weeks, I think, which is, wow. you know, and a lot of that was there were times where we would have a, a, the luncheon for, for Logan's birthday and, and we'd all be sitting around and we just did the lunch. We yeah. had two track two cameras on a dolly track and an oval shape around the around the table and it was just invent and talk and create and I think part of that was was the learning who these characters were both for Jesse and the top creatives who then continued on to the show as well as for the actors to to kind of create who how they related to each other what was the family dynamic how how did they what did they think about each other not just of what's written on the page but what they could invent well you mentioned that improv, you know, has been a part of this. And I think I've seen you say that that took some acclimating to, because some of these guys have done a lot of it. You maybe had done less of it, but I also wondered, you know, the, some of the producers involved with this, we've got Adam McKay, you got Will Ferrell. I don't know if they were present or part of really there for the, Adam was. Yeah. I mean, these are guys who are so associated with, with improv. Uh, Were you getting any, tips or you just had to kind of learn on the fly about how to keep up learn on the fly keep up yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean he adam directed the pilot and he had a god mic that he's sort of taken on this thing that he uses what he directs where like there's a sound system set up and he can talk to us from the next room with a microphone and it's kind of it's terrifying at first but it's kind of brilliant as well because you feel like there's always somebody sort of what you, it sort of reminds you that there's somebody watching what you're doing and is able to pick up on it um yeah is able to like see the choices that you've made and then like comment on them in real time in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was a moment where the camera come came on to like onto Kieran 
while we were in a conversation and he just yelled out something like, talk about that thing. You like, just keep talking about it. Or it was like, and there was another bit where he was on Alan and, and he goes, do the bit about the water rights. Just, just talk about water rights. And I'm like, <laughs> how come it doesn't turn to me? Like imagine if the camera comes to me and I have to come up with something and do it through an American accent filter. <laughs> oh, no. That would be, and that would be scary. Just so yeah. brilliant to watch. I mean, you've done Spin City and he's right. an extraordinary actor, but able to just think of anything off the top of his head and, and say it. And, and this is without, again, having much background on your characters or the family or anything that's, at that point. Totally. But that's the kind of the genius of it as well is, is yeah. if there's nothing there, then you can fill it in. Like you can right. color it in. Like, I mean, Roman in the first episode had a, had a wife and a kid and then they changed it to his wife, his girlfriend, and it was her kid. You know, like if it's not it's not set in stone and it's not then in the edit, in the final cut, then it, it never happened. It wasn't. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how long was it before you guys heard that it was going to series and then how long before you guys actually – you know, went to work on that for yeah. first season only because I guess at, at some point there has to be more of a conversation about, you know, are these guys the same questions that all the fans have had? Are these guys the Murdochs? Are they the, you know, um, Redstones, uh, the Trumps, whatever, you know, are, uh, all kinds of questions, I would imagine, uh, including, um, I again, I, I'm just projecting, but I think I would want to know, is it <laughs> is it purely coincidental that you know, your character, forget about Siobhan, your Shiv, you've got a con, you know, all these different, are these, seems like it would be a stretch that they're all just coincidentally that. So anyway, just did those conversations happen in the time between when you're done with the pilot and you actually now are going to series? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the names that came about in the pilot for me, I was like, Shiv, huh? It's a verb ended now. Ooh, interesting. And nice. Um, and then you're like, okay, con, to con someone, Connor, got it. Yeah, Kendall, to Ken, like you know something, deep knowledge. Mm, interesting. Okay, mm -hmm. Roman. Okay, Roman, like Romanesque. Yeah, okay, okay. Huh. Logan. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, like, log. Uh, no, right, right, um, right. Uh, you know. But that's, I don't know whether Jesse did that on purpose, but maybe he did. And, and that's, you know, a lot of writers do that um, in, in theatre. There's a meaning to the name hidden somewhere. But we were in, I was in um, in India. I went on a, on a uh, backpacking sort of holiday in India in 20, beginning of 2017, so February 2017. And I was there uh, next to the Jaisalmer Fort wow. in Western <laughs> Northwest Rajasthan, I think it is, um, when I found out. But that was a really strange, it was like, oh, wow, here, here, here I am next to an ancient fort, um, just getting a job that is, that is like kind of about, you know, all the, you know, the Murdochs or the Redstones or the Trumps or whatever. It's all, of, it's about all of them and none of them. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's the fact that we come up with these families, these dynastic, dynastic power families at any generation in life, in, in, in the world, in, in human history, in any culture. Uh, so being, yeah, next to the fort whilst I got cast in that. 
and well, not fast enough that you know why well, it got picked up. Yeah, yeah, well, it gets like, picked oh. up. Yeah. Now, were, is that you saying it's about those families, or was that something that was formally ever communicated to you? No, I mean, I asked. I asked. It was like, is this? Am I? I guess Elizabeth Murdoch. And yeah. Yes, it was like it's not like no because that's too. It's too simple to do that, and it's too reductive or restrictive. Sorry, is the better word because because it puts you into a track that then you can't change. And it's much better, I think, to to be able to have uh, a whole banquet of, of people yeah. to cherry pick from, you know, like this element of that person's personality and, and this element of that person's family. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you had done in Australia TV movies, maybe even a mini series, but never an ongoing no. series as far as I know. So here you go. You know, this is this is a whole new ball game and an extended period of time. Even even if yeah. your your guys' seasons are, you know, I don't know, what was it not eight, nine, ten episodes? But I, I I've read that you know there were certain discoveries made along the way or or uh, approaches adopted along the way. Like for instance, there's one time where you've talked about that Shiv is particularly feline, like kind of waiting to pounce or whatever. You know. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, y- you know, you said something about featuring, in, I guess, in the first season, a lot of imposter syndrome that, yeah. that you know, uh, just are these things that you came to on your own as you're thinking about how to play her in the in that first uh, go around or uh, just what was your experience that first season? First season was very like fly by the city pants, sort of hope that this works out. Um, and yeah, definitely imposter syndrome. And it took, yeah, I, and I know I've said this in interviews before, but it took until about episode five for me to sort of settle and pull my finger out in a way that like, well, either it's too expensive for them to recast now. So. Oh, you you're saying the imposter syndrome was about you. I thought you were oh, saying yeah. that, that it was like that Shiv was feeling some sort of. Oh, I'm sure she does in a buried way down yeah. right down the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> right. with her dad, but never anywhere else. I definitely, as Sarah, had imposter syndrome. Um, just, like, not deserving to be there. What am I doing <laughs> with this job? Like, I didn't think I should have gotten cast. Um, yeah, and, yeah, it took until episode five. It was like, well, it's now genuinely too expensive for them to recast. <laughs> entire season has to be... Uh, a failure and uh, it's never your fault if you don't do a good job or you can pull your head out of the sand and start actually engaging with with what's going on in front of you and make some choices and and do some acting that you have trained to do and you really like doing so what are you gonna do (laughs) well so that (laughs) that season drops in the summer of 2018 had you already come to your own conclusion that this was things had gone really well and people were going to like this or did you have to hear that from critics and people out in the real world to, to kind of believe that? I had come to the conclusion that I liked it myself and mm-hmm. I enjoyed doing it myself. And it was sort of like critics be damned, public be damned at this moment because mm-hmm. I hope we get to do it a second season because I love playing all these people. This mm-hmm. is like the most rewarding uh, work situation I've ever been in and also the longest I had never done as you said long-running tv and so in terms of time commitment I hadn't done anything beyond 
a seven week or longest might have been two and a half months maybe in something. And so this going for the first TV thing I've ever done into like a seven month, six and a half, seven month shoot was really, you know, bonding. It was, it was a great time Um, living in New York, working there, working on extraordinary material for me, it kind of didn't matter whether people liked it or not. I just wanted to do it again. <laughs> well, now, once it became clear that people really did like it, uh, and it really, I think, took off pretty quickly, presumably your day-to-day life might have been somewhat affected by that. I mean, this is... Yeah, you know, what, it, actually, yeah. it took off a little slower than, ah. than, than um, in some ways, because people really, people who saw the first season ardently loved it. And oh, there were people who saw the first couple of episodes and were like, why would I like this show? There's no one who is nice on this show. Right. I have no characters to root for. I'm turning it off. Um, and then the second season, I think we went to the Emmys of the second season. Yes. And we got nominated. And that was the first time I saw, like, oh, people, a lot of industry people like this show. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of people that I admire. Yeah, uh, fans of the show and have seen it. That's interesting. Wow, that's so cool. Um, but it wasn't until I think having having done lived through pandemic and beginning to shoot third season, did things you know life on the outside of the show change personally. How did that sort of manifest? It's like you're, I guess, you're living in New York. People are back in the real world, and yeah. you're getting stopped a lot more. Yeah, I think I have been insulated between first and second, second and third. I had been insulated from the um, the rise of the show because I was back in Australia between the two seasons. I did a play between two seasons. I had other things I was got hap- that were happening, and then I was uh, you know obviously stuck in Australia during the pandemic. Um, everyone's living inside. Everyone's wearing masks. Third season, everyone's wearing masks. You can't go out anywhere anyway. So, like, there's been this strange sort of insulation around something that was gaining in momentum until coming out for the fourth season. It was, like, being, like, slapped in the face with a whole, like, oh, I know who you are. Like, you do? <laughs> Me? No, this is something's happened here. Um, how, did you, how did you take that? Uh, it's been, a, it's, it's been interesting. It's been a different experience. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. And then I'm not okay with it. Um, maybe just sort of ride the wave of, of that. It's it, not, not okay with it. It's like, no, go away. Like, right, right. I just go like, this is, I, I, and I, I, you know, sometimes I'll see a soup, like someone will somehow I'll see a supercut of, of Shiv moments or something. And I right. genuinely look at that and I'm like, who's that? <laughs> like, <laughs> like but it's a really strange because it's so far from I find her as a character so far from who I am as a person mm-hmm. that I don't I don't yet put myself in I, I don't know it's, it's just it's a really it's a strange position to be in I think sure um, well like, and I mean second season just to just to keep people you know following along here where, where we're talking about second season she comes back. Shiv is now back. I Meaning you're back with a different haircut, different wardrobe, mm-hmm. different relationship with Logan for most of that season. There's the uh, yacht situation where who's going to get thrown under the bus. And I guess uh, then season three, which is there was that 
really long gap right between doing season two and season three because of the so you come back and um shiv is president now at that point i guess partly because logan feels it's a good thing to have a woman at the helm at at when you're dealing with me too issues yeah Uh, i think it's more of a consolation prize for not actually being ceo at the end right 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 Uh, um but also, this is where the we really things come to a head with with Shiv and Tom, which I want to ask you about because uh, obviously the wedding had been at in season one. Now we're finding during that there's that banter quote, you know, you love me even though I don't love you. Close quote. Uh, does she mean it? Does she? I guess the question I wanted to pose to you is. Does she actually love Tom or does she love being loved by Tom? <laughs> this is a question I get a lot. Everyone always asks, Do, does she love Tom? And I always, I think she does. I think in her own way, and, you know, whatever level of messed up that is, it, she does. And I think, yes, she does love being loved by him. Uh, I think she needs him. And I think that scares her that she does. Um, I think that she's not comfortable being, being vulnerable. And so whatever sort of version of love that she's put up is, is, is something that is born of, of that in discomfort of vulnerability. And I think, you know, she's grown up in a family that didn't show love affectionately in the, in the traditional senses that, you know, the hallmark senses or anything like that, you know, it's showing love is, is like, winning at something and and giving you the winnings you know like the the ways in which she's experienced love are transactional and i think um it's kind of what she knows how to give back and uh yeah the the short answer is yes she does love tom yeah which i guess makes it all the more problematic for her at the end of the season because now who can she trust? Yeah, exactly. I, Dad has abandoned her or failed her. Mum has abandoned her. Tom has betrayed her. It's very like, well, I my I, my therapist was wrong and I was right. Uh, <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Right. It was just a matter of time. You know, like that's, I think, where she is at the moment. Well, now you mention her mom and some of the most electric moments of this whole mm. show have been with you and Harriet Walter, uh, where, you know, uh, in this case, she obviously was not a particularly good mother to Shiv and then goes and says, quote, some people just aren't made to be mothers, close quote, inferring that or implying very clearly that Shiv, this this applies yeah. to her as well. So again, is just to get into how twisted this all is, suddenly Shiv now wants to have a baby, not because she wants to have a baby, but because she needs to prove her mother wrong. Competitive. Yeah, she's very competitive, I think, in that sense. (laughs) And I like, it's so complex and messed up and, like, I I don't think that Shiv would be a particularly good mother at all. Like, I don't really think she's got a maternal instinct in her at all. Or maybe it would bring out this sort of very – unexpected lioness kind of protect the cub thing that, you know, trying hard not to be her dad or her mum more likely actually in this situation. But uh, that as a, as a, um, as a 
potentiality for Shiv as a character is very interesting for me as an actor to think about, for sure. And we're we're talking about all all of these things that we've just been talking about for the last minute or two have been in season three for Shiv. It's obviously been a crazy eventful season, including we can't overlook the fact that she finally learns, along with Roman, that what had, what Kendall did at her, the night of her wedding, yeah. which how often have we seen these three actually kind of, in a sense, unite and be supportive of each other? I wondered for you, I guess it was out by the dumpster where this is all happening, the kind of, you know, coming clean about things and how do we react to this where, where Kendall's uh, opening up. Do you have anything you want to just about that scene, which I think is also being very dissected. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, yeah, this is the first time I've seen the the, the siblings all united uh, in a in a meaningful sense. Um, but even still, like <laughs> she can't help herself by going like, "Wow, you fucked up my wedding in so many different ways." That is her response to <laughs> to her brother's <laughs> revelation, and you know, like she means it in in the way of like, I hear you, I know that's difficult for you, but also like trying to turn it into a joke of like, how dare right. you? Uh, and then also with the, you know, the, the comforting, the affection that she gives him, she still has her phone in her other hand. She's still yes. like checking in. She's running two tracks. She's compartmentalizing as always. Yes. Checking in with what's going on with, you know, dad and, and that, you know, talking about like, how do you show love? Uh, in in some ways, that for Shiv is is her way of going like showing up. Like, don't worry, I got this. Is n- neither of you are capable of being the vanguard here? I will be. Uh, get behind, <laughs> get on the sled, guys. We're going. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go and attack Dad. Um, and I think that sort of it's 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 a it's a um a different way of showing love. The better way would be like, oh my god. We have to go and get you to a safe space. Let's go and like wrap you up in hugs and, right. and get you a cup of tea. And <laughs> but there are more pressing matters, unfortunately, at the time that they have to go deal with. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was a difficult scene to shoot, I think, because we had just the, the size of the scene anyway, the gravity of the scene, and then we had a whole bunch of elements some purposefully against us and some unfortunately against us. Like the weather, it was extremely hot. It was like 36 Celsius. So what is that? Something 95 or something mm-hmm. horrible. And it was a drafty, dusty area. So there was constantly dust, like white dust being kicked up. I, my, my right eye gave up halfway through shooting. Oh, I through it for a while. I had to go like, lie down in a cold room. Um, I think you were in heels too, like on a, on a slope, right? Yeah. The slope, all of it. And just nothing in the space. Like usually in these big scenes, you've got furniture, you've got something to lean on, you've got something to hide behind, you've got something to play with, distract. It was just nothing. There's nothing to distract you from anything. You have to be there in the scene. I only have my phone. Uh, you have to, yeah, you have to just front up, which we we ended up getting it, but it was a it was a tricky one. How would you describe the dynamic between you and your your co stars? Just as forget about being in character, just when you're generally together here, it's a big ensemble. You guys have been recognized as an ensemble, but um, also have very different 
ways of working, which has become yeah. apparent over time. I mean, I, we've had Jeremy and Brian on this podcast before and gotten in depth about very different ways of working. And in fact, it was at the end of the third season that for better or worse, and I, I'm very curious to hear your take on it, outcomes that New Yorker article profile of Jeremy, mm-hmm. which provokes strong feelings all around. And so I guess just anything you thought about that piece, but also just generally how you guys coexist while you're in the trenches together. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, like I said before, this is the first long running TV show I've ever done. And so there's like, there's long, there's, you know, we've been working together since 2016. That's like six years. That's a long time to be in each other's spaces, in each other's processes, in each other's uh, worlds. And, and you do end up just having different ways of working to another another person. Um, but, you know, I think really importantly on Succession, it's led by someone like Jesse, who was an ex- exceptional leader, and he's able to, uh, you know, foster a chemistry between us all that, that, um, that you know, has to, then you have to create space for everybody to, to allow them to work the way that they, that they do. Um, and, and particularly in TV, you don't, and we are afforded an enormous amount of respect and time because HBO are very generous with us, but it's TV. You still have, you know, a a short amount of time to shoot an enormous amount of pages. We're shooting like 78 page scripts in, yes, we are shooting, uh, in shorter, a longer amount of days than most people have for an hour episodes. I think sometimes we do 14 days or usually it would sit around 11. And I know friends of mine who are on, you know, hour longs, like, I'm sorry, what? You have 11 <laughs> days? You're luxury. Like, we don't, but we're doing, you know, 15-page scenes. We're doing, yeah. like, 11-page scenes, of, you know, 10-minute takes almost every time. Um, so you do have to, you know, end up becoming very uh, adept at, 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 you know, whatever process that you use, using and using it well, I guess. And, just to it seemed like you were you may have had something to say about the the New Yorker piece. Yeah, I mean I that 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 piece came out and I to be honest, I felt I felt a lot of uh empathy for Jeremy when that came out because it's not nice to have um something under scrutiny in that in that public sense. I think it brought out some interesting conversations uh in regards to whether we would allow you know, whether, whether you want to frame his, his process as good or bad behavior, I think it's irrelevant because it, it depends on how the people on the set are working with, with him and, or with anybody who does that, uh, that kind of, um, more methody process. But I, I think it brought up some interesting conversations more, more internationally about whether we allow women to take the space that, that they, uh, maybe desire to, or, could do or should do um, to, you know, have more of an in-depth process to create the work. I don't think we, I think most of the female actresses, friends of mine who are in high sort of powered shows or positions have, have said that, you know, usually it is like a, it's a hurry up sort of thing. It's never sitting back and taking the space to, to, to do what they, what they want to do. Um, 
And I think that's that's an interesting conversation to have, you know, like say what you want about an individual, but maybe it's more of a, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a quite an interesting conversation to have. In the, in the sure. Case. Yeah. Well, with just the, the last minute or so, can I just, just a few, throw a few things at you sort of uh, – just mm-hmm. rapid fire. Just a, we'll go quick questions, quick answers, just to um, get some final takes. Uh, assorted stuff. So first of all, in your view, I don't know if you've how how much you've seen as far as where the show is going for the next season, and where where to at what stage are you guys at this point? We're, we've we've just started shooting season four. Okay. Yeah. So and do you get scripts? How far out ahead of where you are? I mean, no, we get scripts like the day before we <laughs> the table read. And then, then we get, you know, a, a, a clearer draft, I think, the day before we start shooting or a couple of days before shooting. And some people take umbrage with that. I don't mind. It's like, you know, the character's going to do whatever they do. And I right. trust Jesse and the writers and, right. you know. Yeah. Well, so the reason I ask is, and I don't know if you can answer this question, but is it your sense that Shiv is capable of forgiving Tom? <laughs> Ooh, great question. I don't know. I don't know. And I, I don't know in terms of um, where that sits for the upcoming season. But all I would say to it is, like, it, it would be far more interesting if it's more difficult to forgive somebody. I think that's where, like, drama and conflict lies. So though I don't know one way or the other, I would say that's the more likely. Uh <laughs> Next to these, do you have any, has anyone ever communicated to you or have you, you know, have you guys communicated to the show? Like how long you think succession can go on? Oh, I would love to see another season. I think um, it's really hard when you do something and you feel like just getting going on the first season, second season. Okay. All right. I feel comfortable, confident, pandemic. Then you start third season, you're like, okay, this feels like a new beginning in a way. Like you feel like you just started again. And then to begin fourth season in that frame of mind feels like, oh, I definitely need another one. <laughs> you know, like, is there any moment. question? Like, is there a possibility this is it? Or are you? Uh, no idea. It's like a 50 yeah. 50 yes or no. Who knows? Who yeah. Can say? Yeah. Um, they're not going to say one way or the other to us or to Jesse, like, you know, who knows? Um, I know that I would love to because there's, there's so, it feels like halted and and stop starting in a way that there's not been like, I haven't tired of, of the cast or the scripts or the character in any, in any sense that makes me go, yes, definitely want to see the back of this. And you have been, I will just quickly note, there's been things in the off seasons uh, where, Pieces of a Woman, American Pickle, all the, and I think you're getting into directing. I'd seen so like there yeah. are people, you know, there. I guess it's seven months you said of the year, so um, it's a massive yeah. time commitment. And yeah. you know, there's a part of me as an actor who's like, <laughs> I'd love to do another season because I don't know if I'm gonna get another job again. You know, like <laughs> I don't, you know, you just don't. I don't conceive my life is so different from before I started to to now. Like. It, you know, and actually everybody in the cast was six years, it's an amount of time, but yeah. Jeremy's, had, Jeremy's had three kids, Kieran's had two, you know, we're all in very different life circumstances and I think, you know, inhabiting ourselves differently from six years ago. And I don't know what life after succession looks like. So, of course, I want another season because I don't want things to change just yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, well, somewhat related, uh, the next one of these is just 
you brought up the point earlier. Some people say there's nobody to like on Succession. These are all, mm. forgive me, they'll, you'll sometimes say a bunch of assholes, like out of t- yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. What What is your theory of why people do still keep watching? There's a, there's a hate watch element, I think. There's like, <laughs> I can't believe they've got so, money, so much money and they're still unhappy. There's like... But there's also the, the the familiarity as well. Like I think all these these characters exist in 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 every strata of 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 wealth. You know, there's it's just because you're an asshole doesn't mean you have to be wealthy. There are plenty of <laughs> yes. more assholes in the world, <laughs> um, and also there's plenty plenty of people who are like you know struggling financially who want more and yeah. will do anything to get it. And it doesn't change when you're a person who has everything. You still right. probably, if you're that kind of person, want more and you'll right. do anything to get it. Last three of these quickies. Would succession work as well if its seasons dropped all at once as opposed to the weekly rollout? Oh, I don't know. I think, I think yes and no. It might have like hit in a different way earlier and maybe the the length of time that it's sort of having its um having yeah the, the the kind of ardent fan like and I know people who have who really abhor the fact that they have to wait. Like they <laughs> cannot handle the fact that they have to wait. And some people who who love it because they get to watch it twice. They right, right. watch an episode twice and they know the episodes and the characters better than I do sometimes. They know what's happening, why did they say this, they said that line, and that relates to this three episodes later. I'm like, you remember that? <laughs> what? How did you see that? Wow. It's so many times. Uh, next of next last, Succession competes at the Emmys in the drama series category uh, categories, as you are well aware, having been nominated a few times yourself. Um, yeah. As opposed to, of course, the comedy series categories, do you agree with that classification? Yeah, I think so. I think it is a drama. I mean, it's funny, but life is funny, and it's <laughs> life's still a drama. <laughs> life's not all a comedy. Right. I think, yeah, some of the stuff that happens is pretty tragic. You know, all the stuff that Jeremy, you know, as a performer, had to put himself through for first and second season. Those those are not comic things. Those are real no. like dealing with big life moments. You know, and that's right. that's he had a different. Uh, track of, of, of experience as well, where we're, you know, as characters dealing with something quite different in life, he was dealing right. with, you know, the size of, of <laughs> tragedy that magnitude create that needs a different attention, I think. Sure. Well, final question, and I guess this is really ultimately the, the big one. Um, if Shiv is ultimately chosen as a successor, mm-hmm. would that make her happy? <laughs> it would make me happy. Yes. I want <laughs> it's so weird. Like I really want Shiv to get CEO, but I don't think she's probably very good for it. She's out. She's not even got enough experience, really, has she? And logically, she shouldn't be CEO. But but maybe maybe she's she's with the right mentor. Maybe maybe she could. Maybe Jerry could mentor her, and she could really take the company in a different direction. She's got the guts to do it would I be happy yes would Shiv be happy maybe for a month like (laughs) (laughs) will Shiv ever be happy that's the question not really (laughs) well thank you so much and really it's been such a 
treat to watch the the show. I think there's, you know, I know you said you guys have been sort of in a bubble for a lot of it, but I can tell you that out in the world, uh, we are obsessed. So keep up the great work and <laughs> thank you again. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Nice to chat. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.